Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Friday, June 23rd. I want to draw your attention to a pick on the menu on the Daily Audio Torah website. It is found under our projects and partners. Select Torah House Global Prayer Network. This is a call to believers throughout the nations everywhere to take a place on the wall of prayer and to raise up a standard against the rising tide of evil and lawlessness that we see in our nations and in our culture. Let me share with you from their vision statement. The Torah House is an imaginary space where we meet each Erev Shabbat Friday night at 9 p.m. We all pray from our own location and in our own time zone. Together, we will enter into virtual Torah House every Erev Shabbat at 9 p.m., your local time. His set-apart people will meet with Yeshua in His Torah House. Community prayer is of tremendous value because as we pray of one heart, mind, and purpose, great power is released in the heavens. We begin our prayer time with the great shofar blast and enter Yahovah's courts with praise. We come against the relentless tide of evil that is swallowing up the nations. We ask our Father to establish His Torah in our city, our region, and our nation. Each month, there is a featured prayer theme for the month so that together we can focus our prayers on the prayer theme for that month. Go to thetorahouse.com to see the prayer theme for this month. To learn more or to sign up to become a member, a partner, or a coordinator, go to thetorahouse.com and find out more. Join with others throughout the nations every Friday night at 9 p.m. your time as together... We raise up a symphony of prayer to Abba Father in seeking His face and crying out to Him for the remnant to return to the God of Israel and to His great and glorious Torah. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give Pick on the Navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Korah. Numbers 18, 1-15 Then the Lord said to Aaron, You, your sons, and your relatives from the tribe of Levi will be held responsible 
for any offenses related to the sanctuary, but you and your sons alone will be held responsible for violations connected with the priesthood. Bring your relatives of the tribe of Levi, your ancestral tribe, to assist you and your sons as you perform the sacred duties in front of the tabernacle of the covenant. But as the Levites go about all their assigned duties at the tabernacle, they must be careful not to go near any of the sacred objects or the altar. If they do, both you and they will die. The Levites must join you in fulfilling their responsibilities for the care and maintenance of the tabernacle, but no unauthorized person may assist you. You yourselves must perform the sacred duties inside the sanctuary and at the altar. If you follow these instructions, the Lord's anger will never again blaze against the people of Israel. I myself have chosen your fellow Levites from among the Israelites to be your special assistants. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord for service in the tabernacle. But you and your sons, the priests, must personally handle all the priestly rituals associated with the altar and with everything behind the inner curtain. I am giving you the priesthood as your special privilege of service. Any unauthorized person who comes too near the sanctuary will be put to death. The Lord gave these further instructions to Aaron. I myself have put you in charge of all the holy offerings that are brought to me by the people of Israel. I have given all these consecrated offerings to you and your sons as your permanent share. You are allotted the portion of the most holy offerings that is not burned on the fire. This portion of all the most holy offerings, including the grain offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings, will be most holy, and it belongs to you and your sons. You must eat it as a most holy offering. All the males may eat of it, and you must treat it as most holy. All the sacred offerings and special offerings presented to me when the Israelites lift them up before the altar also belong to you. I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters as your permanent share. Any member of your family who is ceremonially clean may eat of these offerings. I also give you the harvest gifts brought by the people as offerings to the Lord, the best of the olive oil, new wine, and grain. All the first crops of their land that the people present to the Lord belong to you. Any member of your family who is ceremonially clean may eat this food. Everything in Israel that is specially set apart for the Lord also belongs to you. The firstborn of every mother, whether human or animal, that is offered to the Lord will be yours, but you must always redeem your firstborn sons and the firstborn of ceremonially unclean animals. Second Kings four eighteen to five twenty seven. One day, when her child was older, he was sent out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly, he cried out, "My head hurts! My head hurts!" 
His father said to one of the servants, Carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, It will be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, Hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, Look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, Is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, Everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, she is deeply troubled. But the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, Don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, Get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the mother, the boy's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to Elisha and told him the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up and walked back and forth across the room once and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi. Call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elisha said, Here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. Elisha now returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. One day, as a group of prophets was seated before him, he said to his servant, Put a large pot on the fire and make some stew for the rest of the group. One of the young men went out into the field to gather herbs and came back with a pocket full of wild gourds. He shredded them and put them into the pot without realizing they were poisonous. Some of the stew was served to the men, but after they had eaten a bite or two, they cried out, Men of God, there's poison in this stew, so they would not eat it. Elisha said, Bring me some flour. Then he threw it into the pot and said, Now it's all right, go ahead and eat. And then it did not harm them. One day a man from Baal Shalishah brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and twenty loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. 
Elisha said, Give it to the people so they can eat. What? his servant exclaimed. Feed a hundred people with only this? But Elisha repeated, Give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says, Everyone will eat, and there will even be some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God, that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him, Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, Go and wash yourself seven times in the river Jordan. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times, as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, All right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth 
from this place, and I will take it back with, home with me. From now on I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master the king goes into the temple of the god Rimen to worship there, and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Is everything all right? Naaman asked. Yes, Gehazi said, but my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. He would like seventy-five pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to them. By all means, take twice as much silver, Naaman insisted. He gave him two sets of clothing tied up the money in two bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the men back. Then he went and hid the gifts inside the house. When he went in to his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? I haven't been anywhere, he replied. But Elisha asked him, Don't you realize that I was there in spirit? When Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you, is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle, and male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer with Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow. Acts 15, 1-35 While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, The Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, After a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. 
God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Yeshua. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted, as it is written, Afterward I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Shabbat for many generations. Then the apostles and the elders, together with the whole church in Jerusalem, chose delegates. And they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. The men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas, and Silas. This is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. They stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem, 
with a blessing of peace. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. Psalm 141, 1-10 O Lord, I am calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you, and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. But I pray constantly against the wicked and their deeds. When their leaders are thrown down from a cliff, the wicked will listen to my words and find them true. Like rocks brought up by a plow, the bones of the wicked will lie scattered without burial. I look to you for help, O Sovereign Lord. You are my refuge. Don't let them kill me. Keep me from the traps they have set for me, from the snares of those who do wrong. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, but let me escape. Proverbs 17.23 The wicked take secret bribes to pervert the court of justice. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, and this is a very important chapter. It addresses an issue that was highly controversial in the days of the apostles, but it's also a very controversial issue even today within the Christian world, the Hebrew roots world, the Jewish world. It's a controversial issue, and the issue still comes up after all these hundreds and hundreds of years. What is this issue? So in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, there were some men from Judea who arrived And they came to Antioch, and they began to teach the believers this, Unless you're circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Their fundamental position is, you have to go to the law of Moses, the Torah of Moses, for your salvation. And the disciples answer in verse 9 and 10, And in verse 10, they say, So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus, Yeshua. So are we to walk out our faith by going to Mount Sinai and trying to perfectly keep the the Torah, the law, is that what our faith is to look like? Or are we to stay connected to the head, who is Yeshua, and walk by faith? And so, later on in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 5, But some 
of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law or the Torah of Moses. So again, are you going to go to Mount Zion and walk in faith and believe in Yeshua and turn to him? Or are you going to go back to Mount Sinai and try to follow the Torah by your own flesh, by your own efforts? So Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem to consult with the council, the Jewish apostle council, to settle this matter. So now I want to take a little bit of a a detour as to understanding their answer. Their answer is kind of puzzling. Like, why did they give this answer? So let me give you some context and some background. Some background. The book of Hosea is a book that is particularly focused on a certain audience. It is not to the Jewish people. It is not to the southern kingdom of Judah. The book of Hosea was focused on the northern kingdom, the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel. Remember, Rehoboam and Jeroboam brought about a kingdom split. And Rehoboam, King Solomon's son, ran the southern kingdom, Judah, and Jeroboam ran the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the north. And in that kingdom split, Jeroboam said, I don't want you going to Jerusalem to keep the feasts. We're going to do our own feasts up here in uh, Bethel and in Dan. And he built his own alternative altars and changed the days and moved Sukkot out one month later and, and, and went really into tremendous paganism. So here is, um, I'm going to build a portrait for you, a picture of what happened to that northern kingdom. Because we, those of us who are not Jewish, are the descendants spiritually of the northern kingdom, the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel. So in Hosea chapter 2, we have a description of a woman who is out in the wilderness and she is pagan and she calls upon Baal and she follows after other lovers and burns incense to Baal and um, she's an idolater. And this woman is um, a picture of the northern kingdom. And so this whole chapter is talking about that. But then it goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 14, Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And that word Achor is trial or troubles, the valley of troubles for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. So she represents Israel. And it shall be at that day, says the Lord, that you shall call me Ishi, and Ishi means husband, and shall call me no more Baal. For I will take away the names of Baal out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. So when the the 
kingdom split happened, the northern kingdom, um, they fell into idolatry and they forgot the true name of God. They forgot that his name was Yodhevavhe, Yahweh. And they began to call upon him as Lord, as Baal and other, other gods, and they forgot the true name of God. They forgot the God of Israel. Okay, so that's one characteristic of the northern kingdom. Another characteristic of the northern kingdom, they departed from the Torah entirely. They totally departed from the Torah. So in Hosea chapter 8, um, starting in verse 11, because Ephraim, and that is another name for the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the north, the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel, because Ephraim has made many altars to sin, Altars shall be unto him to sin. Verse 12. I have written to him the great things of my law, my Torah, but they were counted as a strange thing. Why were they counted as a strange thing? Because they totally departed from the Torah, from the word of God. They, they forgot God's name. They forgot the book, the Torah, the Bible. And finally, in Hosea chapter 9, God is speaking again to the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the north. And in Hosea chapter 9, verse 3, it is written, You may no longer stay here in the Lord's land. Instead, you will return to Egypt, and in Assyria you will eat food that is ceremonially unclean. So in other words, when you leave here and you get evicted and ejected from the land and you go to Assyria and Egypt and, and you're going to be scattered to all the nations of the earth, you're going to start eating unclean food. You'll start eating pork and shrimp and lobster and all this unclean food that it's biblically unclean. So basically, the northern kingdom forgot the name of God and they began to call him Lord or Baal. They forgot the book, the Torah, the, ten, the, the Bible, and this is what much of the mainstream Sunday church has done. They read just the New Testament only. They don't read the Old Testament. And finally, they eat unclean food. They eat pork and shrimp and lobster and all the unclean foods. So that is a portrait and a picture of the non-Jewish part of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. So now let's come back to the book of Acts, and this will help us better understand why the council gave its ruling from Jerusalem. And the ruling was thus, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Those four things. Don't eat food offered to idols, number one. Don't drink blood, number two. Don't eat meat of strangled animals, number three. And refrain from sexual immorality, number four. So, basically, the, the things that the northern kingdom engaged in when they split away from the southern kingdom put a curse upon them. And these four things that have been given to them to follow 
by the Council of Jerusalem undoes that curse. They're not saying, we want you to come back under the law of Moses. That's a heavy yoke and a heavy burden, and we couldn't even keep it. So we begin in faith in Yeshua, and we are to continue in faith in Yeshua. It is not in us to be able to keep the law, the Torah of Moses, in our own strength, in our own flesh. We will fall. We will fail. It is a heavy, heavy burden. We are to walk in faith in Yeshua, our Messiah, and keep our eyes on him and stay connected to him by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And sadly, what I see many times in different uh, Messianic congregation that, uh, congregations that I have visited, it doesn't happen suddenly or all at once. It's very slow. It just, it's just a slow creep, slow creeping, uh, drifting away, a drifting away from Yeshua. And one of the signs that the congregation is drifting away from Yeshua is when you hear in conversation that they're always talking the name Yahweh, 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 and you never hear the name Yeshua. You don't hear them ever talking about Yeshua. It's always Yahweh. That's a sign that they're drifting away from Yeshua when when he's not the center center and he's not the focus anymore. And um, we cannot keep the law of Moses in our own strength, in our own flesh, in our own power. We cannot. We will fail. And we must stay focused on Yeshua and walk in faith, and lean on him hard, trust in him completely. And that's really what this issue and this controversy in Acts chapter 15 is all about. It was a controversy back then, and it's a controversy today. And so, you know, even as we try to build bridges with our Jewish brothers and sisters, There may be some on the Jewish side of the aisle that would say, oh, yeah, you can come and join us over here, but you don't have to follow the Torah. Just follow the Noahide laws. There's seven Noahide laws. And if you do that, that's fine. The rest of it is not doesn't pertain to you. Um, and, And so there'll be all kinds of formulas that are put out there for how to reconcile the two sides of the aisle, the Jews and the Christians, to bring them back as one, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But really, the answer is quite simple. Acts chapter 15, verse 11. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Yeshua, Jesus. It's by grace, it's by faith that we begin our walk and that we continue our walk day by day. Do not drift away from Yeshua. He is the head. He is the one we must keep our eyes on. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. It is from him that we get our air to breathe. It is from him that we have the grace for each day. It is from him that we are able to get through each day. Yeshua must be the center. He's the preeminent one. 
He is our betrothed. He is our life. He is our breath. He is our shelter in a storm. He is our rock. He is our provider. He is our husband. He is our everything. Do not drift away from Yeshua. The law of Moses, the Torah of Moses, does not save us. It reveals to us our sin. It's the mirror that we look into to show us that we are sinners. And it is Yeshua who saves us. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.